I don't, I don't know if you've uh, ever been all in. I mean, nothing's going to get in your way. You're going to make this thing happen. My friend Charlie from the Bahamas, he's Bahamian. He's a wonderful friend of mine. And he was all in when it came to this young lady named Zena. And when they grew up, they grew up in the same community. He had his eye on Zena, and he kept pursuing Zena consistently. And she responded in the same way every time, not interested. Right? So, so Charlie continued to pursue her and when she graduated from high school, she went to move off the island to go to school in the States. And so Charlie decided what the right thing to do was to get on a bar, like a plane that was flying over to Florida and then rent a car, take his flowers and make sure that Zena knew how he really felt about her. So it was a Christian school. She was in a dorm he couldn't go into. And so he saw a young lady walking into the dorm. This sounds like a little creepy, doesn't it? You're like a little nervous. Um, but he, is, uh, he sends a note with her that says, Charlie is outside waiting to see you. And so can you just imagine the emotion for my friend Charlie as he's, you know, he's so excited for her to see that he's here. The young lady takes the note up and then, uh, that same young lady comes back to the car and she hands him a note back and it says, not interested. <laughs> so Charlie got in the car, came back, flew back home. They've now been married for 25 years. So, uh, so, so they're some of our favorite friends. But, but Charlie had a persistence about him that said, I'm going to see this through to the end. And today we're going to see a message from the Apostle Paul, one of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament, this, this section of both the Apostle Paul declaring a prayer, but also declaring his unbridled anticipation and pursuit of those who have yet to hear the gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul is in prison at this point. He's incarcerated for the fact that he was sharing the gospel. And his message today is going to say, I want to be really creative and wise and prayerful about opportunities to share the gospel. And it's really interesting to see the prayer that he prays. Because he's going to say, do you remember what we know about Christ? I just prayed it a few minutes ago. That it, said, it says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth of the gospel, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is pure, is, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord that there's a component of that message. Do you, do you know what we call that, right? We call that the good news, right? And there's a component of that message that the Apostle Paul wants to say that there is absolutely nothing that I want to allow to get in the way of my ability to be able to communicate that to a world that has yet to receive it. Now, you remember the story of the Apostle Paul is that he himself was good at religion, Right? He was successful at memorizing truths, that he was skillful in being a Pharisee of Pharisees is what he told us. But what we find out at this point through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul is going to say to us that he wants to do everything in his power to winsomely share the gospel. And he's going to talk about this in Colossians 4, 2 through 6 in a way that's profound. He's going to say, pray that God provides opportunities for the doors to be open and that when they're open, that we passionately pursue that truth. He's going to talk about seasoning our message with salt. He's going to talk about active pursuit. 
And in the midst of this, I can't help but think of J. Oswald Sanders. He, he says this, Oswald Smith, I'm sorry. He says this quote, and I love this. He talks about the gospel, and he says, how in the world can we justify hearing the gospel twice before everyone has heard it once? In, in other words, we're saying, like, how can I know this truth of the gospel and not be super generous about it? There, there's so many truths that are so simple and yet so profound that come out of what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul saying to the church in Colossae, a church he'd never been to before, while I'm in prison, I'm going to pray in such a way that I hope that you get it. And I hope, church, hope church, and I think Paul was saying this to the church in Colossae, I hope you have the guts to be able to pray this way. This is what he says if you have your Bibles in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. He says this Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You know, this is the seventh time in the book of Colossians that the Apostle Paul tells, tells us to be thankful. Here he says it again At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on, which, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse five, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every person. The Apostle Paul challenges us here to pray diligently and expectantly. We're going to focus in on the first few verses of this section. We're going to study it next week as well. But this prayer, diligently and expectantly, is found in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in it in thanksgiving. The Greek word here is this, this eager anticipation about what's going to happen. I can't keep my eyes off of it because I believe so much that there's going to be something that's going to happen. And I'm expectant. Do you know we're challenged in God's word to pray without ceasing? Have you ever considered what that means, to pray without ceasing? So, so we're going to actually start that today. We're not going to eat lunch. We're not going to do anything else today. We're just going to lock in and just pray. Who's in? You guys in? You know, even just the thought of that is overwhelming, right? But what the Apostle Paul is saying is he's saying to you and I, when it comes to the way we live our lives, when that, that little voice that you have in the back of your minds, and I know you have it because right now some of you are thinking about lunch, Right? Some of you are thinking about the game yesterday or the game tomorrow. That, that little voice in the back of your mind, as you go through your life, when he says pray without ceasing, what he's saying is that there's a component of this where you say, in every moment, I'm saying, Lord, what do you want me to do right now? What is it what you're, that you're asking me to do? That, that I'm going to pray constantly. And what the Apostle Paul says is that he says, you and I ought to be people who pray a prayer that is so bold that we're willing to say, God, who is it that's around me that you want me to deliberately pursue with the truth of the gospel? That prayer is one that takes so much courage, but it's one that ultimately also anticipates a God who can answer prayer. I don't know if you believe that God can answer prayer in your life, but I desperately believe that we have a God that answers prayer. He says, be watchful in it. He says, waken yourself up to the reality. Expect 
an answer that God's going to receive. Have you written your prayers down before? And if you haven't, I'm recommending that you do because when you do and you look back and you see what you prayed for, you find yourself saying, oh my goodness, he totally answered prayers to me. These kind of prayers are the kind of prayers where we say, Lord, I don't know who you're going to open the door today for me to have the opportunity to share the gospel with, but I'm in if you open that door. I, I think of this, this clarity that the Apostle Paul is challenging us to do, and he's saying this in a way that says that we ought to be repetitive, that we continue steadfastly being watchful in it, and as I mentioned, we ought to be people who are full of gratitude in the midst of that process. I'll be honest. I am delighted that someone loved me enough to share the gospel with me. Today, I'm going to talk a lot about embracing the awkward, and some of that comes into what it means for us to present the truth of the gospel to somebody. I love that someone loved me enough to do that. And I, before we move on from this, this idea that we ought to be people who pray regularly, I was leading a mission trip last year. It was a family mission trip. There were like 60 people on the trip. I was overseeing it. And when we flew back from, from the Bahamas where we were at, which sounds warm and nice, I know. Um, when we flew back, when we arrived back in Charlotte, I got the notification that nine of the flights had been canceled the, the next connection. So a majority of the team, they're all ready to fly home. Next day's Father's Day. One family had family, a family member who was terminally ill, and they looked at me in the eyes when they heard this announcement. They said, we've got to get back to Cleveland tonight. And so I say goodbye to majority of the team, and I've got these nine people that need to get back to Cleveland. So I did what most of you would do. I prayed, but then I also went to the rental car counter, right? And I would have taken a Prius at that point that would have held nine people if they had such a thing. I would have taken four Priuses. And every single counter that I went to, they either had a handmade sign or they had a printed sign that said no cars available because there was a computer glitch that you might have read about that meant that all these flights were canceled. Literally everybody had the same idea that I did. There were no cars available, counter after counter. They just, they almost made fun of me when I went up to their counter, like nothing, we don't have anything. And so at the counter, I just prayed. I thought, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but, but the prayer that I prayed, and I, and I ask of this for you, I, I pray for this for you, is that the prayer that I prayed was, was really simple, but it was, God, I really believe that you care more about this than what I do. And I, and I believe that you've got a solution for this situation. Do you understand that prayer? God, I think you care more about this than I do. And you know what ended up happening is that I decided that I was going to walk up to where people return their cars. Maybe there's going to be a chance there. And as I'm walking through, there's just this overwhelming peace that, that came over me. Like, we're good. This is going to be fine. In fact, I even called one of the team members that was in the airport waiting to try to figure out what was happening. I said, I think this is going to all work out. So I go up to the counter and there's a young lady there that's working. And I said, I believe you have a van for me. And she said, well, tell me what your reservation is, Mr. Brennan. And I said, oh, there's no reservation. And, and then she looked a little curious. And then finally, she, her eyes light up and she goes and gets a vehicle and she pulls it in and she's just excited. And she says, you know, look, look Pastor, or Mr. Brennan, I've got this car for you. And I said, thank you. I, I had prayed for this vehicle. And so I go to open it up and I realize that there's not enough benches in there for my whole team, not enough seatbelts. So you guys know where I'm going with this, right? is that I, I looked at her and I said, I, I appreciate that vehicle, 
but I actually prayed for one that would seat my entire team. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And then she just beamed and smiled. And she went back and she ended up getting this 11 passenger van that was perfect for our team. And as I'm driving back to pick up the team, there's just a part of me that, that was thinking, this is a huge deal for us. But in some sense, with the God of the universe who's got the cattle on a thousand hills, who understands how all this stuff works, he can't, he's good. He's got this. And there's a component for you and I when we talk about those who are around us. And I want you to think of names. I want you to jot this down in your notes. Who is around you that has yet to hear the truth of the gospel? Who around you does not know the simplicity that Christ died so that we don't have to die for eternity? Who is it that knows, does not know that message around you at work, coworkers, your friends, your, your peers that you love, your family members, your parents, your kids? Who does not know that truth? And who is it that God's asking you to pray boldly like the Apostle Paul challenges us to do, to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving? That, that simple phrase communicates such a powerful truth to us. Do you have those people in mind, brothers and sisters? Can you, can you jot their names down? The Apostle Paul says the first thing that we do is we begin to pray diligently and expectantly on their behalf, anticipating what they're going to do, anticipating what God is going to do. It's, it's a crucial side point this morning that the messenger is not the message. I think this is where we get fuzzy sometimes when it comes to communicating the gospel, presenting the gospel to those who have not heard it. He says this in verse three. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door, not for ourselves necessarily, but for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. They don't know this message. This is a mystery to them on account of which Paul says, I am in prison. It's intriguing to me that sharing the gospel is so commonly associated with fear, right? Fear of failure, fear of, not know, fear of not knowing the answers, fear of exposure, fear of repercussions. But, but brothers and sisters, it's my belief that God can eclipse every single one of those fears with love. That we can find people who understand that the message is what God has asked us to do. We are messengers. We are not the message. I love in Matthew chapter 13, it tells the parable of the soils. And, and Jesus explains this. This is one of the few parables that Jesus says, let me tell you what I was talking about. You remember the soils? He throws the seed, sower goes out and sows its seed. He's a farmer and some land on a sidewalk, rocky soil amongst thorns. And then one produces a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what's sown, right? That's the image. And, and what I love about that story is that it doesn't emphasize the skill of the farmer. It doesn't say how well he sows the seed. What it says is that the farmer's job is to sow the seed. The apostle Paul tells us elsewhere that some have the privilege of sowing, some have the privilege of reaping. And, and how is it that they would hear the message of the gospel if no one is sharing the message of hope? I like the way Bill Bright puts it, the founder of Campus Crusader Crew. Uh, he used to, to say this in a way that was so powerful for me when I was being trained in how to share the gospel. He says, the best gospel message is the one that's given, right? Like he's just saying, like, we got to be people who are willing to share the hope of the gospel, our own story, the story of others. And, 
And, and I, I remember with gratitude, as Paul says, and be thankful that someone had the courage to pursue us with the gospel, that they were willing to embrace the awkward and willing to talk to us about the good news, necessitating the bad news of the gospel, that we desperately needed that hope. The apostle Paul really says, if you summarize this Colossians 4, 2 through 6, you see him saying, pray for open doors and the courage to go through them says this in verse three. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. It is helpful for me to note that open doors really come from God. This is his work. And I, I don't know if you've given open doors much of a consideration, but but I, I think of how, how winsome God is, how creative he is. At one time, we, were, we had a flight that was canceled that I was trying to get reimbursed for a ticket. And I'm talking to this young woman in, in India. And, and it was this like last minute phone call that I'd made. And I, I finally, at the end of this, we made this connection. And as I'm talking to her, I'm not kidding. I, you can't make this up. But she says, are you a pastor? That's really what she said. And I had not said anything to her. I don't know if it's because she saw the caller ID said church. But it turned out that this young lady was in a part of India that was being persecuted for her faith. And she said, this morning when I woke up, I prayed that God would send me somebody who would encourage me today. And, and as I'm tearing up at my church desk, because I was calling to get a reimbursement for a flight, I realized that God had something else that he was asking me to do. It was an open door. One of, one of our pastors, a pastor friend of mine from Grace, tells the story of how he had one of, those, um, one of those individuals that was trying to really steal money from his family. It was a social security fraud thing. They were calling, and, and he was, was a couple calls down the road. He was, he was, he was convinced. He was, had been fooled by this. And at one moment, it just struck him that this was a deception, that it was a lie. And he tells the story that when he realized it, because the numbers didn't quite add up, that he just decided he was going to tell the person, hey, dude, by the way, like, this is real money. This, I have a family. I have kids that I'm trying to feed. What you're trying to do is, is thievery. It's wrong. And then he went on to say, and it's sin. And you need to understand that if you sin before a holy God, that he will hold you accountable for that sin. And then he went on to share the gospel. He said he was on the phone with this guy in another country, who knows where he was, for over an hour sharing the gospel with him. Isn't that awesome? And, and there's a component of this that, that I think my friend would say that, that this open door was from God. I believe this statement. I don't know if you live like you believe this statement, that God is 100% at work in the life of every single person that you encounter. That God is 100% at work in the life of every person that you encounter. This is his work. We get to come alongside and we get to say, God, open this door. Let me share with you a message of my story of hope. You know, we need to be people, though, who notice God's work. Jesus was a master at that. The woman at the well, he noticed what time of the day she was there. What, he noticed her story. He listened to her. Think of Zacchaeus and, and the Lord Jesus seeing him in the tree, an untouchable man, a man who was a tax collector that was rejected, and Jesus invites him to his table. Think of the temple beggar 
where Peter and John encounter him. You know the story. I hope you know the story. I hope you read your Bibles and hear these stories. They're amazing. That the story with Peter, the, the man says, says that he wants alms, and, and the answer back is silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we'll give to you. And they ended up healing him, and then they shared a message of hope to him, the Ethiopian who is studying God's word and says, I need someone to explain to me who this Messiah is, the Roman jailer. There's story after story. But the key for you and I is that we're people who notice what God's open doors look like and then have the privilege to step into them. They're no accident. They just give us an opportunity. Sometimes they're so big, you could drive a Mack truck through them. My brother, Chad, was a missionary in Turkey, and he was, driving, or he was walking across Ankara University, and a man who looked official grabbed him and took him to the top of a building. Chad was nervous because what he was doing was, you know, to proselytize in Turkey could be illegal there or is illegal there. And so Chad was there praying for opportunities. Literally, the guy grabs him, takes him up to this tower. There's a young man sitting in a chair, and the professor says, you're American, right? And he says, yes, to Chad. And he says, well, then you know about Christ. This young man's asking me questions about Christianity. Well, my brother um, was smart enough as a missionary to walk through that door, right? He shared the gospel. Bo became a believer. It's an amazing story. I've actually met Bo several times, and it's really cool. That, that was a big, wide, Mack truck, wide door that was open. But I'm guessing for most of us, the, the door is a little more subtle. It's, it, it requires a little more effort. It requires a little more awareness and alertness. That family member that's in crisis, that, that coworker that has opened up to you personally about some of the hurt that they're going through, the friend that you've seen their marriage fall apart and you're asking, what can I offer for them in the midst of this? Your, your child who starts asking these more and more intense questions about the truth of God's word. I don't, I don't know what the open doors are that God's opening for you, but the question is, do you understand that they're opening from God? And that these open doors are a result of the kind of prayerful anticipation that he's challenging us to have. Remember what Paul said, incarcerated for sharing the gospel, not exactly rehabilitated in that area. Verse 3, it says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. That image of an open door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. It is not a mystery because God has clouded their eyes. It is not a mystery because of the fact that we're smarter than them. It's, not, it's just a mystery because they haven't heard the truth of the message. And here, prayer is the catalyst. Paul understood this tremendously significant connection between prayer and evangelism. Hudson Taylor, the, the founder of Ch China Inland Mission, tells a great story. Uh, I like this quote. There are three stages of work of the work of God, impossible, difficult, and done. Isn't that great? But Hudson Taylor would tell the story of, of the missions that he oversaw in China, and there were many of them. Many of them had extremely competent leaders using many of the same skills, the same, the same competencies, the same strategies to reach China for Christ. But there was one in particular that was extremely successful. They saw a significant amount of fruit that comes out of it. And Hudson Taylor says that he's back in the States. He was speaking somewhere. And he had a man come up to him afterwards and ask these very specific questions about the missionary that oversaw that region. And what he would find out is that that missionary was a classmate of the gentleman that was sitting with him at the church service. 
And that classmate said to Hudson Taylor that every day since we've graduated, I've prayed for my classmate that God would bless his ministry, that there'd be fruitful ministry that comes out of it. And the quote from Hudson Taylor is that he said, and it was at that moment that I understood why that mission in particular was so successful. That there was a base of prayer, a constant, deliberate pursuit of the Lord that said, ultimately, this is what we aspire to see, God at work and fruit to flow out of God being at work. Now, I want to challenge you in a very personal way when it comes to that person that came to your mind when I said, who is it that God's asking you to share the gospel with? The family member, the classmate, the coworker, the neighbor. Heaven forbid the neighbor. We sometimes have trouble getting along with our neighbors, right? None of you do. Um, you haven't met my neighbors. No, I have good, good neighbors. But I want you to think of that person. And then I want you to hear a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, who at one time had said, if a, na- if a person that we know is going to go to hell, that it ought to be, may it be, that they have to climb over us to get there. That's the way he described it. I want you to hear these words from Charles Spurgeon. He said, the Holy Spirit will move them by first moving you. If you can rest without their being saved, then they will rest too. But if you're filled with an agony for them, if you cannot bear that they should be lost, you will soon find that you are uneasy as well. I hope you will get into such a state that you will dream about your child or your hearer perishing for the lack of Christ. It's a terrible image. And start up at once and begin to cry, oh God, give me converts or I will die. And then he says, and then you will have converts. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, pray fervently. Pray as if you believe this message of the gospel is so true that it's real, that it is the hope of the world. And I, I think that it's, it's important for us to accept open doors come from God. They're a result of deliberate prayer from prayerful anticipation. And ultimately, open doors come from intentional pursuit. I like the way it's described in Romans ten fourteen. It says, how then can they call on the one who have they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Acts 14, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So so the question becomes, uh, or the the clarity becomes that a messenger, a messenger of hope is required. And and there's a component for us that I want to challenge us to be people who, when we talk about open doors in our culture today, I think a lot of that just looks like opening spiritual conversations, right? It means being willing to just say, like, I want to engage in a spiritual conversation with my family member, with my kids, with my coworkers, with my um, those that are around me. And and the way uh, to start spiritual conversations begins. I want to give you three ways. The first begins with A, and it's, I, I want to challenge you to be aware. And, and, and this awareness piece says, Lord, I'm praying for opportunities, but when it comes to the awareness of those who are around me, I'm going to be aware of what they're going through. I'm listening to them. I'm hearing their stories. I'm hearing the questions that they're asking. My father-in-law taught me that at restaurants, um, before I 
um, give my order, to ask the waiter or waitress if there's anything that I can pray for them for. Usually what I'll say is something like this. I'll just say, now, by the way, I'm a good tipper. Um, don't do this if you're a bad tipper, all right? And you know who you are, you bad tippers. Um, everybody, anybody here been a waiter, uh, waitress? Um, like I, so so you, look, you look at this person, you look them in the eye and you say, I'm going to be praying in a few minutes. Sometimes I'll say to, to Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer. Um, and is there anything that I can pray for you for? I will tell you in my own personal experience that more times than not, I've had someone even sit down at the table. It's a little awkward, to be honest. But, but sit down and tell their story. Tell their story of homelessness, their, their story of how far they've run from the church. Their, their story. Can you believe that there might be a mom praying for that very person? somewhere out there. There might be a grandmother that's praying for that young man who's serving the food to me that day. I mean, it's, it's so small, right? But what I'm praying for is that I'm aware to the people who are around me. For some of us in this room, it might be being aware tomorrow at the barbecue of the people who are in your backyard to listen and to be sensitive, to pay attention to them. The second thing I want to challenge you to, to be sensitive to is to just be willing to be bold. The Apostle Paul warns us against being ashamed of the gospel. And we talked about the reasons why we would do that. But this, this boldness means that we're willing to, I keep saying it, embrace the awkward, right? You guys know what I mean by this. But that just, like that waitress, was she expecting me to ask her how to pray for her? Of course not. Does she, does she care that I care? I hope so. The point is to say, I'm going to embrace the awkward because I believe that there may be an open door that's in front of me that's significant. And then the Apostle Paul closes the section that we're studying this morning in a very specific way. He says in verse four, he says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And I would suggest that this is to all of us. The the clarity of the gospel that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we can be saved. If you don't know that and you call yourself a Christ follower, you probably need to restudy these truths in, in God's word. The clarity of the gospel that is so essential is that we understand what the gospel is, why we call ourselves Christ followers, and then we're humble enough to be willing to be clear and precise as we communicate it to others. When I was at Cedarville, one of the things that I loved to do was to go to a local jail uh, and I did a jail ministry, share the gospel in a local jail. And it was in Xenia, Ohio, and um, I loved it. It was really, really a special ministry. These guys, you had, you had a captive audience. That's a bad joke, isn't it? Um, but there's a component of this. That there's just this one man that was right in front of me. He kept, oh, you guys are like, oh, he, he dad joked us this morning. You rolled your eyes on that one. Okay, I'll stay focused here. So one morning I was going and I had met with the same young man consistently week after week. And I told my roommate, I said, Ryan, I'm guessing that today's going to be the day when this young man who I've been talking to is going to pray to accept Christ. He had these tremendously powerful questions. He was wrestling with his own shame and guilt and his marriage and this, as a father, all this stuff he wanted to talk with me about. But I said, you know, I think today is the day. And I'll, I'll confess to you, I was furious that day when I went into that jail. And the reason why is that as I go in to start talking to him about the gospel on the day that I think he's really going to profess 
that he's going to become a believer. He said, midweek, there was a group that came in and he talked to this guy and the guy said, you need to ask what version of Bible that the person who comes in and talks with you with it with. And if they don't have the right three letters on the outside of their Bible, then you need to ignore everything that they're saying. So what he said in that moment was that there was someone who came and muddied the waters when it came to the truth of the gospel for him, right? It was going to be Jesus plus something, or it was going to be this right way, or the only, whatever it was. And it made me furious. Praise the Lord. It was a couple months later that he ended up praying to accept Christ. But but what what it reminds me of is that that there's a component of this, this truth of the gospel that we have to be people who are crystal clear. The only way I know how to be crystal clear is to understand it for myself. And so I want to challenge you. We're going to talk about this more next week. But for some of you, there's things about the gospel that you still wrestle with. This idea of the atonement, the idea of who Jesus is, that that there's components of it that for you, it's a little muddy in your minds. It's it's a question. I haven't really thought about this. Or what does it mean for a person, for, for Jesus to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I don't know what your questions are. I have my own. And I've wrestled with them in my life. And what I'm encouraging you to do to be clear is to be someone who asks yourselves those questions and that you make sure that you're careful and clear about how you communicate the truth of the gospel. One one theological student put it this way. Um, after he said, he said that after, the, after going to seminary, um, if, uh, if Jesus asked us the question, who am I? He said this, Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And they replied, you are the eschatological manifestation of the ground of our being, the kerygma in which we find the ultimate meaning of our interpersonal relationships. And Jesus said back, what? <laughs> There's a component of this that, that the gospel, if you know John 3.16, if you know in your life John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life. If you know that message, then you ought to be someone who can be clear with the truth of the gospel. I don't know if you have the courage to pray this prayer, but I do. And I'm praying that for us when we look at this community, 35,000 people in Brunswick, the surrounding towns that are around us, that there's, there's hundreds and thousands of people who don't know the truth of the gospel. And I'm praying for us that we're people who have the courage and the confidence. I want you to just hear this one more time, and we'll pick up on this next week, but I want you to hear this truth. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love that I got to start with the story of my friend Charlie, who pursued passionately his wife-to-be. And I don't know who God is asking you to pursue expectantly, 
But we know as we study this message together that it begins by prayer, prayer that God would open doors, and then it is followed up by intentional, passionate, courageous pursuit. And if we do that, I believe we will have the privilege of being ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word that it promises us that it will not return void. And I ask for each one of us in this room that you would give us the kind of endurance, the kind of clarity, the kind of courage, maybe even the kind of memory that reminds us that others chose to love us enough to pursue us with the gospel. And I I pray for this church that as we go from this place to wherever you have us heading, that we would be aware people, that we would be bold people, and that we would approach this message of the gospel with the kind of clarity that allows the main things to be the main things, and that at the end that you ultimately would be glorified. We love you in this, in this time. We love you, and in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.